Well, welcome everybody to this next uh, Saturday's talk live here from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Miriam priests, and it's an honor to have you with us for a special day. You know, when the when COVID started almost a year and a half ago, we began doing these Saturday talks, and I thought I'd do maybe ten or so, maybe five, maybe ten of them. This is episode or um, talk number 70. And so we've been doing this now every week, every Saturday. We've missed a couple because I was traveling um, and then we had ordinations. But basically, this is the 70th talk uh, that I've done here. And it's exciting to have you here. You know, remember the Bible where uh, Jesus, when Peter asked how many times to forgive, and he gave the perfect number 70 times seven. So basically, uh, how many of these episodes do we plan on doing? Hopefully 70 times seven. <laughs> so, so stay with us as we're um, honored to have you and we're going to be talking since today or excuse me this month of October is the month of the rosary the title of this topic as you saw in your slide is this is not vain repetitious prayer the rosary is biblical so let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us through the intercession of our Mother Mary, that we may raise our minds and hearts to you and through the rosary, the scriptural tool, that we come to know the mysteries of Christ's life. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. I'm really excited about this talk, and I, I was home for three days, and I started to put it together last night, and I realized I, there is so much good stuff here. We're going to do this in two parts. So we're going to do this talk today will be part one, and then please join us next week for part two, because man, there are some great things. I realized I've never given a full talk on the rosary because I went back to see my notes and I'm looking and looking and I realized I've never given a full talk. I did a Thursday talk on Ask a Marian just last week. And that was the first time I'd given a talk on the rosary. And I've mentioned it in homilies. So you might have hear, you might hear a couple few things I've talked about before, like the Battle of Lepanto or Vienna, but that's going to be towards the end of the talk. But this is pretty much all new and it is a beautiful, beautiful devotion given by God through Our Lady that we can't be without. And so, you know, what happened in the seminaries when, when everything started going downhill in this world is when they started taking the rosaries out of the seminaries. I'm telling you that. That's when the church started to really lose her way. They're getting the rosaries now back into seminaries. Seminaries are praying them. And with that, I'm taking you back with us to seminary because this is our 70th class and you are getting absolutely bombarded with what I believe the best of what I learned in seminary. And at the heart of that is the rosary. And so stay with us today as we talk just about that. All right. So as you can see, Brother Mark put up, we're talking about not vain repetitious prayer, but we're talking about something biblical. Now let's look at our next slide. The word rosary actually comes from the Latin rosarium, which means a crown of roses. That's what rosary means. A crown or corona, we'll talk about in a minute, of roses. And it's the focus of the month of October. Why October? because October is harvest month. 
And this is the way that God wants to harvest souls through the rosary. And so as you can see on your screen, now let's talk the next thing. Let's show brother Mark show our next slide. The rosary is a bunch of bees and everybody criticizes bees. Like there's some kind of pagan, some kind of um, uh, anti-Christian tool. They're not. They've been using beads to count prayers since the first century. And so the word bead comes from B-Day, B-E-D-E, which means prayers. So when you see the rosary, it's just a collection of prayers. And so that's all it means. It's not pagan. It's a, it's a collection of Christian prayers. Now, it's, it's, it's important because people will say, for instance, Oh, you know, Father, um, my, my, my child's sick or my, my children have left the faith. And we always say, yes, we'll pray for you. And I bet you have too. I bet you've had somebody come up to you in the past and say, you know, my cousin has cancer. And, and you, you just automatically say, I'll pray for you. Do we actually go back and do we pray for those people? The rosary is a great way to do this. Say it at the end of the day. And so all those people throughout the day where you said, I'll pray for you or I'll pray for them. Know you're in my prayers, keeping you in prayer. What you do then at the end of the day is say your rosary and you encompass all of them into that rosary. Unless you've said it more than 50 times, you have at least a bead for each person that you've agreed to pray for. My whole family do, 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 do. You got the prayers. And so this is powerful. And it's not worship. People think because we're praying to Mary that we're worshiping her. No, you've heard me say before, the word to pray actually means to ask, not necessarily to worship. And the example we used before is the courts. Do you know when people would have their court cases heard back in the original language, even in the United States here, they would say the defendant prays that the court waive this charge. Well, that doesn't mean worship. To pray means to ask. So we are asking the mother, the mother of Jesus Christ to put in a good word for us. You would do the same thing if you knew somebody who was the best friends with the president of your company. You work for a company, you work for Microsoft, somebody knows the president, you'd say, put a good word in for me. You know, this is, not, this is not pagan. And so it's scriptural, the whole thing. The Our Father, the Hail Marys, the Glory Be, the mysteries. And a lot of people get hung up on the Hail Marys. Let's talk about this. All right, we're going to talk about the parts of the rosary. I'm not going to spend too much time because most of you know how to pray the rosary. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. And if you don't, please feel free to go online. You can find great resources to help you. But let's look at our next slide. Here, Brother Mark is showing an actual rosary. And you know, a lot of people don't know how to pray it or where to put their fingers on the beads. If you look at the screen, basically the very first part of the rosary is the cross. This is where we make the sign of the cross. And then at the top of the cross, you do the Apostles' Creed. This is on the top of the cross. So you make, you hold the cross, you make the sign of the cross and you go to the top and you say the Apostles' Creed. Now on the first bead, there's one bead and then you see three below it or three above it, I guess you could say. On that first bead, you say the Our Father. Now, usually for the intentions of the Holy Father and please, 
The intentions of the Holy Father do not mean his personal intentions, meaning um, to force the vaccine. That's not what the intentions of the Holy Father are. They're set by the church and they are found online for each month of the year and you can read them. There is nothing wrong with those intentions. We should be praying for them. Next, after that, we have three beads that we say for the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And we say three Our Fathers. I'm sorry, three Hail Marys. So the next three beads are the three Hail Marys. Now, the glory bead doesn't go on a bead. This is where it gets confusing. It goes in between those three beads for the Hail Mary and the first mystery. This is where we say the glory be. All right. Then we say, oh, my Jesus. We usually say that after each mystery, which will come up a little bit later. But basically, we say here then an Our Father. And again, the Our Father could be on that first bead. And that is also where the first mystery is set. I like to say the Our Father on the first bead after the first mystery. So I'll hold the bead, say the first mystery, then I'll go just to the side of it. And the Our Father is not actually on a bead. It's right next to it. And then begins each of the 10 Hail Marys. And then we go around and we come back and then we finish with the closing prayers of the rosary of the Hail Holy Queen and the other prayers that we close with. So again, you can find this online. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's very powerful. Now, let's talk about the components here because I think there's some things you maybe don't know. So you might turn this talk off and say, well, I know how to pray the rosary. Well, we're going to go into detail here that may give you an understanding of why we pray it, not just how we pray it. Let's talk about for a minute the components. All right, you have the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed, why do we call it that? Well, it's not because it was written by the Apostles themselves. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of everything they taught. So the church summarized it, and it goes back all the way to the 100s, like 125. So when a non-Catholic points to the King James Version of the Bible, or a non-Catholic points to the fact that this rosary is pagan and even the Apostles' Creed because that's the basis of church, Catholic church teaching, you could say, you know what, that goes back to the year 125, way before, 15, 1600 years before, or 1400 years before the Protestant Reformation. And so we have to understand that now traditional Protestants, they will actually recite the creed without a problem, believe it or not. Now, though some lines, they give different meanings than we as Catholics. For instance, whole, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. All right. I'll bet many of you, most of you have been told, well, Catholic there is small c, it means universal, means all churches, all people. And this is true. All right, Catholic does mean universal. However, when the creed was written, it meant a particular identifiable church on earth. The Protestants, as I said, usually refer to an invisible church consisting of all believers, and this is universal, under Jesus. This is true. But despite that, the term Catholic, as we use it in the creed, was actually referring to a specific, particular, visible church by the end of the second century. Even though it's small c, and that means universal, 
It actually was intended to mean the Catholic Church. I always was taught the opposite, that it doesn't mean the specific Catholic Church, that it means universal, and it means all believers like the Protestants believe. So when they say that at their churches, I don't think they even know. So this is, this is interesting. Now, the next part of the rosary is the Our Father. This is pretty basic. It's given in two forms in the Bible, the uh, Gospels of Matthew and Luke. We recite, as do non-Catholics, the Our Father that's found in Matthew. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that right out of Luke or uh, Matthew. And that's acceptable to Protestants because it's the words of Jesus. So, okay, so far, so good. The words of the apostles, the apostles' creed is based on apostles' teaching. Nobody has a problem with that. The, our father is the words of Jesus. Who has a problem with that? Now let's get to the big one, the Hail Mary. Oh, all right. The Hail Mary, since it is a prayer asking for her intercession, non-Catholics say it's unbiblical. It's not biblical. This isn't true. The prayer begins, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Now, let's take it our next slide. Our next slide shows this is from the Bible. There is nothing that's not biblical here. Well, the angel doesn't say Hail Mary. Yes, the name Mary and Jesus were added to the Hail Mary just to reference who we were talking about, even though it's clear in Scripture. The angel comes and says, hail. Who's he talking to? Zebedee? Zacchaeus? Who's the angel talking to when he says hail? He's talking to Mary. So the Hail Mary prayer did add the name Mary because it just clarifies who we're talking about. So the words hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, are just directly from the angel Gabriel in scripture. This is Luke 1, chapter 28. Then, the words in the Hail Mary are, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Let's go to our next slide. That's simply the words of Elizabeth. These are the words of Elizabeth. It's exactly what her cousin said to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now again, we added Jesus, because whose who's fruit of the womb are we talking about? Who was in the womb of Mary? Was it Peter? Was it James? No, it's Jesus. And so we have to understand this. Now, the, as I said, Mary and Jesus' names were added, but here's where we get into it really interesting. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. All right, let's pick this apart. First of all, Many non-Catholics object to saying Holy Mary because they claim that Mary was a sinner like all of us, all right? Let's do this. Mary, however, was a Christian, was she not? In fact, she was the first Christian. Actually, she was the first one to accept Jesus. They see Luke chapter 1, verse 45. And the Bible describes Christians as holy, so basically, calling Mary Holy Mary is not a problem. She was the first Christian, and the Bible itself describes Christians as holy. In fact, they're called saints, which means holy ones. 
So I had one person write to me and says, Father, you don't even realize you talk about saints. You always talk about saints in heaven. The saints were the people living on earth. This is both. They're holy. It means holy ones. Don't believe me? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. It's all in there. Furthermore, as the mother of Christ, how could she not be holy? It's impossible to be the mother of Jesus. You carry the God-man in your womb and you're going to be full of sin. Christ can't coexist with sin. So she even, and, and well, Father, you say that she didn't need a Savior because she's sinless. No, just because you're sinless didn't mean you're a sav- you didn't need a Savior. How did you get sinless in the first place? Because of a Savior. You know, we all believe that it takes Jesus the Savior to cleanse us from sin. Why do we not believe that God can prevent us from sin? A Savior. Now, he's only chosen to do that once in history. John the Baptist and and, uh, St. Joseph didn't commit sin, but they were conceived with original sin. So if we need a Savior to cleanse us from sin, doesn't it make sense that it took a Savior to prevent Mary from getting dirty in the first place? Put it this way. All of us have fallen in the mud puddle, and it took a Savior to clean us up. Why then do we find it impossible to believe that a Savior couldn't have prevented Mary from falling in the mud in the first place? It takes a lot more work to clean up a shirt after it's dirty than to keep it clean in the drawer in the first place. And Mary is that clean, clean, clean. All right, now, she even said she needed a Savior. So again, if God can cleanse sin after we sin, why can't he prevent it? He chose to do that with Mary. All right, and then let's look at our next slide because we call her, so that's Holy Mary. Now let's go to Mother of God. Holy Mary, Mother of God. All right, this title is rejected by many. Mother of God, how dare you say that Mary created God? Okay, a mother doesn't create. A mother gives birth to. Who created me? God, who gave birth to me, my mother. Same with you, same with everybody. The fact is, to be called mother of God doesn't mean Mary is older than God, or Mary predated God. Of course not. That's not what we're talking about here. She didn't create God. It means that she's the person that gave birth, and she gave birth to a divine person. Is Jesus a human person or a divine person? And I know you're all going to say both. That's actually heresy. Wait a minute, Father, you're being the heretic. No. Jesus is one person, two natures. While his nature is both human and divine. So he's like human. He's he's in his nature. He's human and he's God. Look up the catechism. Look up the teachings of the church. Jesus Christ is one person, two natures. In his nature, he's both human and and divine. He's both God and man. But in his person, he's only divine. Jesus is not a human person. He's a divine person with a human nature. And who does a mother give birth to? A person or a nature? 
mother gives birth to a person. Mary was that woman who gave birth to the person. And that person is divine. Therefore, we call Mary the mother of God. Now, please don't write your bishop in saying, Father Chris said Jesus is not human at all. I didn't say that. He's fully human in his nature. So you have Jesus, one person, two natures, human nature and divine nature. But that one person is divine. And when Mary gave birth, you give birth to a person, not a nature. You gave birth to that one person. That one person is divine. Therefore, we call Mary the mother of God. This is how the church taught for a thousand years, more than a thousand years before the Protestant Reformation. Do we just throw all that away? Do we just forget all that? Do we just give up everything the church fathers taught us? Augustine and Aquinas and Bonaventure and Chrysostom, all those, we just throw it away. No, we don't. Because the Holy Spirit guided them. And this is the truth. This is why we can say Mary, mother of God. See, Jesus is one person, two natures. So only God creates, but mother gave birth to Mary. The denial that Mary had God in her womb is a heresy. You're going to call me a heretic for saying what I'm saying? Actually, the heresy is the Nestorian heresy that basically said that Jesus was two persons. He was one human person and one divine person. If that was the case, you'd have four people in the Trinity. How many people are in the Trinity? How many persons? Three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus was two persons, you'd have the Father, Jesus the human person, Jesus the divine person, and the Holy Spirit. You'd have four persons in the Trinity. We don't. The Son is one person. That person is divine. He assumed a human nature. That's called the hypostatic union. And Mary gave him that human nature. Beautiful. All right. Now, this one, this claims that basically uh, the Nestorian heresy has been condemned. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. Now, let's finish by saying, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. All right. Many non-Catholics think that such a request denies the teaching of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that says there's only one mediator. So wait a minute here. Think about this. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. And you have a bunch of us Catholics praying a Hail Mary that says, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. You've just violated that. You're a heretic. You Catholics are pagans. You're idol worshipers of Mary. No, no, no. First of all, right before that verse, in 1 Timothy chapters one, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Paul instructs Christians to pray for each other. He means this. He says, pray for me. Pray for each other. That cannot interfere with Christ being the main mediator. Well, wait a minute. If you ask somebody to pray for you, they're now a mediator. So Paul has just contradicted his own self in the next verse. In the next verse, he's saying Jesus is the only mediator. But the four verses before that, Paul says, pray for me, pray for each other. Well, that makes some mediators. 
You got to know here. Paul says, I urge that prayers, supplications, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. This is good and pleasing to God that you pray for each other. Well, wait a minute, you're mediators. No, to pray for others is very important. And it applies not just to the, well, Father, okay, the living can pray for each other, but you Catholics are praying to the dead. That's not allowed. Really? This exhortation of Paul to pray for others also applies to the saints in heaven. How do we know that? Revelation chapter five, verse eight. It says to inter they intercede for us by offering our prayers to God. Well, how do you know that they're dead people? Read it. The 24 elders in heaven fell down before the lamb. Where's the lamb? He's in heaven. He'd already been ascended. How could the elders be falling down before the lamb? Jesus is no longer on earth, at least in his physical body. The 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So it says here, the 24 elders, these are the people in heaven. But this Hail Mary makes Mary another mediator. All right. Paul says the only way to the father is Jesus. But there are many ways to Jesus. You get this? All right. Here's the Father, our ultimate goal. Here is Jesus, the only way to the Father. So somehow you got to get to Jesus because Jesus will take you to the Father. But there are many ways to get to Jesus. How did you get to, how did Peter get to Jesus? Through Andrew, his brother. How did Nathaniel get to Jesus? Through Philip. How did I get to Jesus? Through my parents. Well, that's mediatorship. The difference is it's not the primary mediator. It's a sub-mediator. This is what Paul is talking about. All right. In proclaiming Christ the one mediator in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul's letter excludes any parallel mediator, meaning nobody is equal to Christ, but it does not exclude subordinate mediation. What does that mean? All right. Before emphasizing this one mediator of Christ, he urged, as I just said, to pray for each other. So there has to be submediators. So if submediation would not be allowed, you couldn't ask anybody to pray for you. You couldn't say to your coworker, you know, would you pray for me? My son is just driving me crazy. Yes, that's submediation. Do you put them up? Well, Father, I don't put them on the level of Jesus. Exactly. But you still ask them to pray for you. That's mediation. And so we have to understand this. And here's the powerful thing. The Greek word that Paul uses for the one mediator in 1 Timothy 2, 5 is not monos, which means soul or only. When he says one, the one mediator, he uses the word eis. That's Greek which can mean one in a series or one principle, one main. It doesn't mean there aren't others that accompany or that join behind. Christ is the one primary, we are sub. Otherwise, you wouldn't pray for each other, all right? Jesus is the principal mediator who enters and allows, enables sub-mediators to give the grace of God through their prayers, why else would Paul say, pray for me? 
All right, Christians act as submediators. We pray for each other. We share the gospel. We serve the poor. Every time you do that, you're a mediator. You bring a hot meal to a starving man, you're a mediator. Every time you help bring somebody to the doctor or you pick somebody out that's, that's fallen, you're a mediator. If somebody falls down and breaks their, their, their arm, are you going to say, well, you know, I can't mediate. Only Jesus can come down right now and help you get up. I can't mediate. Jesus is the one mediator. Yes, between him and the Father, but there are many ways to bring somebody to Jesus. The Bible says that our growth in faith and holiness is aided by the intercession of other members of the body of Christ. Don't believe me? Ephesians 6.18, 1 Thessalonians 3.11, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. And there's no better intercessor than his mother. All right. That's the Hail Mary. <laughs> Let's get out of the glory B. All right, the glory B is easy. This is just simply a hymn of praise that all Christians can say because what is it? It's honoring the Trinity. No matter if you're Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, you honor, well, oneness Pentecostal doesn't, so Presbyterian, you are honoring the Trinity. So there's no problem with the glory B. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? So far, there's nothing in the rosary that's not biblical. Nothing. Then let's finish with the closing prayers. Oh, here's a problem, Father. Hail, Holy Queen. How dare you call Mary the Queen? Well, let's look at our next slide. This is the Queen Mother. This is in the Davidic kingdom. Jesus comes from the line of David, does he not? Says it throughout the Bible. And in the Davidic kingdom, who was the queen? All right, David, his son Solomon, they had many wives. As you've heard me say before, who was the queen? Not the first wife, not the second wife, not the smartest wife, not the prettiest wife, but the mother. And here we see the mother counseling the king. This comes from 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. This was the function of a counselor. She, the queen, the mother, was the counselor to the king in all matters. The queen was the king's mother. And if Jesus is the king, who's the queen? His mother. And we know his mother is Mary. So who would be the queen mother? Mary. So calling her queen is totally biblical. You get it? In the line of David in the Davidic kingdom, the queen was the mother of the king. Who's the king? Jesus. Who's his mother? Mary. Who's the queen? The mother of the king. Who's the mother of the king? Mary. Therefore, Mary is queen. Oh, that's heresy. No, it's not. It's not heresy. And so we have to understand this. And what was her role? Mary said that she intercedes. All generations will call me blessed. Well, why can't you? If Mary says in Luke first, chapter Luke, first, uh, verse 48, that all generations will call her blessed, why can't we? All right, now, those are the prayers of the rosary, but now we're going to get to the good part, the mysteries. Let's look at our next slide. These are the mysteries of the rosary the joyful, the glorious, the sorrowful, and we're going to talk about the luminous in quite a bit detail here coming up. Now, in this mystery, this understanding of the rosary, 
Not only is it a bunch of Hail Marys, but mysteries were added. What are these mysteries? These are meditations of Scripture, the life of Jesus and the life of Mary that is in the Bible. Somebody wrote to me in an online comment that says, nothing of the rosary is biblical. Actually, nothing in the rosary is not biblical. Let's look at this. The mysteries. Let's start with the joyful mysteries. The Annunciation is the first. Where's that? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. What's the second mystery? The Visitation. Where's that? Luke chapter 1, verse 40 through 56. Next is the Nativity, the birth of Jesus. That's the next mystery. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 6 through 20. The fourth joyful mystery is the presentation of Jesus in the temple. That's scriptural. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 39. Finally, the fifth Final joyful mystery is finding the child Jesus in the temple. That is in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 51. You get the point? Let's go on. The sorrowful mysteries. The sorrowful mysteries start with one, agony in the garden. Where's that in the Bible? Say Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. Second, scourging in the pillar. Where's that mystery in the Bible? That's Matthew 27, verse 26. Then Jesus is crowned with thorns, the third mystery of the sorrowful mysteries. Where is that in the Bible? Matthew 27, verse 29. The fourth mystery, Jesus carries his cross. Where is that? Every gospel, John, for instance, chapter 19, verse 17. Then the fifth sorrowful mystery, Jesus is crucified, again, in every gospel. Luke 23, verse 33 through 46. Take your pick. Let's go on to the glorious mysteries. Where are those in the Bible? The rosary is not biblical. The glorious mystery. Let's start with the resurrection. Again, in all Gospels. Luke 24, verse 1 through 12. The ascension. Jesus ascended to the Father. Where's that in the Bible? Luke chapter 24, verse 50 through 51. The third glorious mystery. The descent of the Holy Spirit. Where's that in the Bible? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Then we have fourth mystery. This is the only two that are not directly but indirectly in the Bible. The fourth glorious is the assumption of Mary. Where? Gotcha, Father. Where is that in the Bible? You know what I would say? Revelation 12. Because it talks about the woman in heaven. Crowned with 12 stars gives birth to he who will rule all nations. Who do you think they're talking about? Who's going to rule all nations? Jesus. And it says this woman in Revelation 12 gave birth to him. And she says it's the woman in heaven. So therefore, she's assumed into heaven. That's the fourth glorious mystery. And let's talk about the coronation. Well, where's that in heaven? Again, coronation means queen. And we just described the queen mother that's in the Bible, the line of David. And Revelation 12 verse 1 also says this woman was crowned with 12 stars. Fascinating. So when praying the rosary... You're praying the mysteries of Christ and unite the mysteries of your life with the mysteries of Christ's life. Now, what about this? It's vain, repetitious prayer. You've all heard that? All right, here's fascinating. This is brand new stuff now. So everything else I've just reviewed, you've heard me say before, don't turn me off yet because now we're getting into stuff I've never preached about. Vain, repetitious prayer. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 7 says, don't be like the pagans with vain, repetitious prayer. Now, for instance, you got, let's start with vain. Is meditating on the mysteries of Christ's life that are written in the Bible, is that vain? 
How's that vain? It's not. Jesus is not also contradicting repetitious prayer, surprisingly, in the way that we do it. If he were, he would contradict himself. Why? Jesus prayed multiple times, repetitively, for the Father to take the cup away. He repeated that. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus says you can't have repetitious prayer. Well, Jesus prayed repetitiously to have the cup taken away. Right after Jesus condemns vain repetitious prayer, he commands the apostles to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Did Jesus say never repeat it? Did Jesus say, I'm going to teach you the hail or the Our Father, but I never want you ever to repeat it? That's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Does Jesus intend for us to only say it once? I don't think anybody would claim that. Then we would have to condemn the four angels in Revelation 4, verse 8. They were singing, it says in Revelation 4, 8, it says the angels sing day and night without ceasing. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, I just repeated holy. The angels sing it day and night, unceasingly. Read it. Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy. Well, unceasingly, day and night. Holy, holy, holy. Unceasingly, day and night. Holy, holy, holy. You get the point. That's repetitious prayer. So what is Jesus talking about then? No vain repetitious prayer. Well, you know, there's one more. What about Psalm 136? You ever pray that? It's in the Bible. Psalm 136 says multiple times his mercy endures forever. You'll read a bunch of things, praying in the psalm, his mercy endures forever. Then you'll pray a bunch more prayer, his mercy endures forever. Then you'll pray a much more on the prayer in the psalms, his mercy endures forever. Then you'll read one more and more prayer on the, on the psalm, and it'll say his mercy endures forever. Isn't that called repetition? And that comes from Psalm 136. And so we have repetition here. So what is Jesus talking about? Jesus was condemning Gentile prayers which were meaningless and mindless that were repetitious prayers because they believed the number of times they shouted it, even if they didn't believe it, the number of times they shouted it to a pagan God they thought was more effective. Jesus is saying, no, these are not real gods. These mindless repetition prayers were such that they were to gods that didn't exist. So that's what Jesus is condemning. The pagans and the Gentiles who were screaming prayers repetitively but didn't have any meaning, and they went and lived their own life. They just went and sinned. That's what Jesus is condemning. The Gentiles recited these prayers only to appease a pagan god. They were, as the Bible translates, empty phrases. That's what the Bible says, having nothing to do with expressing love. You pray the rosary out of love and gratitude to God, then this is not vain, repetitious prayer. They would just say the words, these pagans, and that was it. Then they went on their own way and did what they wanted. There was no meaning to it. That's what Jesus is condemning. Not deep, repetitious prayer prayed with deep love, meditating on the birth of Christ for the salvation of mankind. That's not pagan. That is not vain. 
All right, so let's talk about the fun stuff now. How did the rosary come about? Let's take a look at our next slide. Here's a picture of the pious tradition of the rosary being given to St. Dominic in a Marian apparition back in 1214. If any of you have the, uh, if you're following us along, you can see the picture of St. Dominic. Now, there is no church document that supports this, but it was known from the ninth century in various forms. And here's what I want to talk about. Even before St. Dominic was given this revelation, there was a practice that was done by all the people of the church, the laity. What was that practice, Father? All right. The monks were literate. They could read, and they would read all 150 psalms every day. So the monks would have a book called a Psalter, and they would have 150 psalms from the Bible, and the monks would read it every day, and the laity is looking at this going, I want to do that. But they couldn't read. They couldn't afford books. They were poor. This was before the printing press. One book of the Psalter would have cost three years wages. Nobody could afford that. So the laity sees the monks reading the 150 Psalms, and the laity's like, we want to do this. We want to participate in this. So what happened? They would pray 150 Our Fathers in imitation of the 150 Psalms that the monks would pray. The laity were illiterate for the most part. So how would they track that you got rocks? So they would go out and get a bucket and count 150 rocks. So they would say they're our fathers and they would take a rock because all of a sudden, you've all been there, um, is that rock number 28 or 29? And you've all been there. My brothers and I lean over to me in prayer. Is that the fourth, our father? Or I mean a Hail Mary or fifth? So they would have rocks where they would count. Because when you get up to 134, 135, 136, you're like, gee, am I at 126 or 136? Yeah, it might be getting a little bit too legalistic, but that's, they were so dedicated, they didn't want to miss one. So they got rocks. Pretty soon that became a little impractical, so they took little beads. And the simple meaning of beads isn't pagan. The simple meaning of beads is simply to keep track of the number of prayers that were said. Then over time, they began a parallel practice of doing the same thing with Hail Marys because a lot of great Marian saints were coming about. Over the time, finally mystery started to be added to it. So it wasn't just saying an Our Father or a Hail Mary. They began to add the mysteries to it. As we said, those mysteries are all biblical. This is how the rosary developed. It came from the monks praying 150 psalms, the laity couldn't afford books and they couldn't read, so they started praying Our Fathers. Then they got rocks to track the Our Fathers. Then they placed those rocks with little beads. So then over time, the Our Fathers, they began to also pray 150 Hail Marys. That's how the bead of the rosary and the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys came about. It's not worship of some pagan god. And so this is how it's totally scriptural, the whole thing. Let's look at our next slide. 
You all know me, Leo Thirteenth, greatest pope, in my opinion, in the history of the church. He says the rosary is the solution for the evils of our age. And that was back over 100 years ago, 120 years ago. He said the rosary is more divine than it is human. Leo Thirteenth said the rosary is more divine origin than human origin. So while many say that Mary giving the rosary to St. Dominic is purely legend because we don't have any documentation of it, ask Father Don Calloway why there's no documentation of it. He'll tell you the reason. It was all burned. And the reason it was burned is because Satan got angry when the rosary started coming in the Middle Ages and the plague hit. And what happened in the plague? Any place that was touched by a person with the Black Plague was burned. So all the people got the plague, if they were in the libraries, if they were in the archives, they burned it. Devil knew what he was doing. He saw in the rosary, Father Don Calloway says, a huge threat to him to steal souls. So all the documentation that did exist because of the plague now, and this is the, the, the craziness of the coronavirus that we're getting into now, which by the way, the plague killed 25 million people. Coronavirus, I found something very interesting the other day. It listed the number of deaths by the flu year by year. So 2018, it was like 33,000. 2019, it was like 34,000. 20, uh, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019. All of a sudden, 2020, it said less than 1,000. Because they were counting everything as coronavirus. Everything was being listed as coronavirus. Now, the plague, the real plague that hit in the um, Black Plague that hit in the Middle Ages, they reacted and burned everything that came into any contact. Again, Satan knew what he was doing, brought the plague because he knew that this rosary had to be destroyed. Or at least that's what he wanted. So Father Dom points out that the development of the rosary does follow along St. Dominic and his followers. Prayer beads. Prayer components, the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Bees. They all existed, but they were not in the formal form of a rosary yet. There weren't added the mysteries until St. Dominic came. I just described the mysteries, but I should have, I should have said before that, that St. Dominic was the reason behind the mysteries being added. So he formalized the rosary. Mary commissioned St. Dominic to bring back heretics to the church through the sword of the truth, the rosary. He formed the Dominicans. You ever hear of the Dominicans? I'm Dominican trained. I went to seminary at the Dominican House of Studies, not the Dominican Republic down in the Caribbean, the Dominicans, the religious community, like the Franciscans, the Marians. I'm trained by the Dominicans. And the Dominicans are the dogs of God. That's what Dominican means, the dogs of God. And to do this work, Mary called upon them to fight heresy like Albigensianism. Now, Jesus told one Dominican, though, how would you like this? Father Dom points this out. You are a dog because he was Dominican. He says, you're a dog, but you don't even know how to bark. You're doing nothing as my souls are being snatched, as Satan is grabbing soul after soul. You're not doing anything. You're a Dominican. You're a dog. Start barking. Can you imagine God telling you that? 
That's hilarious. When I heard Father Don talk about that, I read off about it. It's fascinating. And so basically, speak. What do you tell the dog when you're ready to hand him his treat? Speak. So we got to tell our priest, speak. Speak up. You're a dog. You're a Dominican. You're a dog of God. Speak up. Preach this rosary. And we Marians embrace it too. Now, let's talk more about this black death. Let's look at our next slide. Satan went on a rampage after this. And this is a picture actually of the black plague because he wanted to destroy everything having to do with the rosary, all the documentation. And you know, this is similar to Faustina. Who got, Fa what happened to St. Faustina's original diary? It was burned. Who burned it? Satan. He played on her. He manipulated her and says, do you really think you're going to write a diary? What a pride. You really think you're going to show what God's will is? What pride. If you're done full of pride, you'll burn this. And she burned it. And then her confessor said, no, 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 don't burn it. She already burned it. He said, now write down everything you can remember. So we're actually working off copies of the diary of St. Faustina because she burned the original. Satan knows when something threatens souls away from him, he wants it burned. This is what's going on here. And so the places that had the records, as I said before, had to be burns. We have no records of St. Dominic ever speaking, but you think the guy never talked? Of course he spoke. He did talk. Again, Satan has limited power to do this. That's why he destroyed Faustina's diary. So anyway, Dominic then sent other brothers to England. All right. And this is why we call England the dowry of Our Lady, because England wasn't hit by the plague like main Europe. So God knew what he was doing through St. Dominic. Dominic sent these other brothers to England. So when the plague was ravaging Europe, they were kind of protected. And with it was protected the rosary. And different forms of the rosary from different saints started coming up, like Our Lady of Sorrows. That's a form of rosary. The Franciscan. Do you know the Franciscans have one called the Corona? This is all, I'm telling you, this is all not just made up stuff. Everything that's going on right now is prophecy. And the Corona, what God wants us to see is that what the crown, the real Corona is him and Mother Mary. Not our money, not our power, not sex, not our pride, not our ego. Jesus and Mary. That's the true crown. What's your crown? What's your king? Is it money? Is it power? Is it education? Is it your career? Is it your new home? Is it a bigger home? Is it a faster car? What is your corona? Or is it even our physical health above our spiritual salvation? That's a hard one. We all pray for beautiful health. We should. That's a good thing. But never at the salvation of expense of our salvation. I know many people that said, I'll never go back to church. Mm, be careful. If you can, you should. If you can't, then yes, do spiritual communion, spiritual uh, act of contrition. Now, the formal rosary was given to St. Dominic, but there's many other forms. And the, guess what? The Protestants tried to destroy it. Martin Luther and others, they hated it. But guess what God does? He always rises up greater answers. At that time came the Counter-Reformation 
and ministers, missionaries, began to spread it around the world. So here in the early 1500s, the Protestants tried to destroy the rosary. What does God do? In the mid to late 1500s, all of a sudden missionary work booms. That's when it came to the United States. The mid to late 1500s, that's when the Spanish missionaries came, bringing, guess what? The rosary. And so there's some great stories here. I would have to skip some. But missionaries, they couldn't take great big Bibles. They couldn't take big liturgical sacramentaries. What did they take? The Bible on beads. That's what the missionaries took around the world. The Bible on beads. The world was evangelized like never before or since. I'd like to think that we're doing a good job of trying. We're evangelizing by a whole new way now, live streams that you're part of. And we, 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 we feel that we're doing as good a job as we can. But nothing evangelized like the world did with the rosary right after the Reformation. Right after the Reformation, when the Protestants tried to destroy the rosary, God kicked it into high gear and started having missionaries spread it all over the world. That's why I believe the New World was discovered shortly after the Reformation. Well, it was discovered shortly before, but the missionary work totally blossomed after the Reformation. God knew what was going to happen. We want to cancel Christopher Columbus. Actually, Christopher Columbus brought... Yes, there were mistakes made. I've said that before, but he brought the faith to the new world and it blossomed from there right after the Protestant Reformation. It blew up, meaning in a good way. It spread everywhere. And so this is what we have. Now, one of the things that the Bibles that they, or the big books that they couldn't carry with them, but they could carry this. And this is how they evangelized. The world was evangelized. They saw it as a weapon to conquer heresy and the lack of truth. This is why we need it today. Because there's so much heresy, so much lack of truth. Millions of people are leaving their faith, just like today. And Mary was at the heart of changing that, like Guadalupe. So many natives were, were human sacrifice and pagan worship. Mary changed that. All right, so why we think first about Hail Marys, the rosary is not just a bunch of Hail Marys. We've said this before. In the 16th century, the mysteries were added. And let's take a look at our next slide, because in 2002, John Paul introduced the luminous mysteries. Now, a lot of people don't like this. John Paul added, and they said that, that he's messed with history. Here's the luminous mysteries. Look on your screen. What's the first luminous mystery? The baptism of our Lord. That's scriptural. What's the second luminous mystery? The manifestation of our Lord at the wedding feast of Cana. That is scriptural. What's the third luminous mystery? The proclamation of the call of the kingdom. That's scriptural. Jesus called us all to do that on the Sermon of the Mount. What's the fourth luminous mystery? The transfiguration. That's scriptural. And what's the fifth? The institution of the Eucharist. Oh, gotcha, Father. That's not scriptural. Yes, it is. The Last Supper. Jesus instituted the Eucharist. So with that, John Paul II introduced the five luminous mystery, and it makes sense. Here's something fascinating to me. All right. And I said this last week in a homily. Here are the original three sets of mysteries, the joyful mysteries. What are the joyful mysteries about? The birth of Jesus. What's next? The sorrowful mysteries. What are those about? The death of Jesus. 
And the third were the glorious mysteries. What are those about? The resurrection of Jesus. So think about this. You have the birth of Jesus in the joyful mysteries. You have the death of Jesus in the sorrowful mysteries. And the resurrection of Jesus in the glorious mysteries. What's missing? What's missing? The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. The joyful is the birth, the sorrowful is the death, and the glorious is the resurrection. What's missing? The life of Jesus. And what is the luminous mysteries? The life of Jesus. As I just read them. This makes sense because Pius XII called it the compendium of the gospel. Now we're going to take a break to watch you at home and those here can take a break. We're going to watch a video of Father Don Calloway give the best description I've ever heard on the luminous mysteries. And why do we follow them? Oh, John Paul II contradicted tradition. Let's look at what Father Don Calloway explains to me as a great reason for why we have the luminous mysteries. Let's take a look. During the crisis, the 70s, you know, we were just, everybody's thinking, you know, we're, the rosary's gone. We're never going to get it back. Then a light from the east comes. Another Juan. Oh, that name John, the forerunner of the Messiah, like Don Juan of Austria, right? In Lepanto, the Battle of Lepanto. We're going to get another Juan. He's going to take the name John Paul II, a Polish pope. And within two weeks of his papacy, this man tells the whole world on Vatican Radio, this is my favorite prayer. And he begins to pray it over the radio, Vatican Radio. He begins to give it to youth, to newlyweds, and he takes it everywhere. He becomes the most traveled pope in the history of the papacy, and everywhere he goes, he talks about the rosary. He prays the rosary. He promotes the rosary in everything that he does, culminating in the year 2002 when he does what? He resharpens the ancient blade of the sword and he gives the world the light saber. The luminous <laughs> mysteries. Yes. Modern times require a modern weapon. Right? It's the luminous mysteries. And why did he give us those particular mysteries? And, and I'm going to tell you something here that's really important because a lot of people today are still resistant to the luminous mysteries, and it's so lame why they're, why they're resistant to it. i got to pick up my glasses because I don't want to step on them. Hold on. <laughs> These things are expensive. Um, so he gives us the luminous mysteries. Why? And, and here's something that you need to know. John Paul II is not the originator of the luminous mysteries. A lot of people think, I'll never pray them because they're a post-Vatican II invention. I stick with the original. Read some books, man. <laughs> Seriously. St. Louis de Montfort also wrote another book called Methods for Praying the Rosary. When it was discovered in 1842 with his other books, he talked about other mysteries. Because it would go from being the Psalter, because when you talk about Psalter, you're kind of committed to the 150, but when it becomes known as the Rosary, you can adapt it, okay? You can, you can do other things with it. He talked about three of the current five luminous mysteries, three centuries ago. St. Louis de Montfort, the great Marian saint. Others talked about it too. Patrick Payton talked about this before Vatican II happened. And a particular man named George Preca, who was beatified strategically in 2001. Why? 
because he's the real inventor of the luminous mysteries. And he lived on the island of Malta. He came up with the exact five mysteries that John Paul II in 2002 would give to the world. And then Pope Benedict XVI would canonize him, St. George Preca. Look him up. You'll see he's the real inventor of the luminous mysteries. John Paul II loved them so much that he gave them to us in his apostolic letter. Why those specific ones, though? Remember the Albigensian Jensen heresy and how they denied, you know, the flesh, the realities of Christianity? Well, those, these are the mysteries that are being denied today. People don't want to baptize, get baptized or baptize their children. I wasn't baptized till I was 10, and I was baptized in the Episcopalian church. I didn't convert to Catholicism until I was going on 21. That's, that's my story. There's so many people out there like that today. Marriage. Why the wedding feast of Cana, right? Why meditate upon that mystery? Because it's very clear at Cana that it's a dude and a woman getting married. <laughs> Seriously. These are the things that are being threatened today. These are the falsehoods and the darknesses that are being attacked today, and we need the sacred mysteries to combat them. We need to unsheathe the weapon to slay the dragon of our times. And when you pray that second luminous mystery, you're also consoling the heart of your God because he is offended by the things that happen today. Our Lady of Fatima told us this. God is offended by so many things that are happening today. And we need conversion. People, people today just think that Jesus is another way. He's just one of a prophet like Muhammad or a prophet like, you know, Buddha. He's God. He's God. We need to convert there's one way to the Father, and he's the only way, Jesus. How many people today don't believe that? So they don't believe, you know, the transfiguration. How many Catholics today don't believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ and the Blessed Sacrament? So many, so many. And so we get the institution of the Eucharist. We need these mysteries today, big time, big time. And so we have them. We have the lightsaber for our times. Okay, so did you watch that? You got to love Father Don's expression um, on how, how he gets the message out there on these luminous mysteries. If he caught what he said, basically it's this. Look, we have a problem in the world today. We're not baptizing our children. That's the first mystery of the luminous mysteries. We've redefined marriage. It's no longer between man and a woman. That's the second mystery. Third, we need conversion. People are leaving the faith like crazy, or they're pagan, or they don't even believe in God. We need conversion. Fourth, transfiguration. We don't care if we're transfigured into Christ or like. We should all have our lives dedicated to be transformed into another Christ. How many of us wake up every day and say, my goal today is not to make more money. It's not to have a better day or to have my sports teams win. How many of us wake up and say, my goal today is to be transformed into another Christ. That's the transfiguration. And finally, the institution of the Eucharist, the fifth luminous mystery. Only 30% of Catholics believe in it. We need that mystery. So this was a great explanation. All right, now. Tradition, people say, well, Father, those are tradition. Tradition doesn't necessarily mean newer. You know the Norvis Ordo Mass? People always point out, well, I'm going to stick with tradition. I'm going to go with the Trinitine, extraordinary form, Latin Mass. Actually, the prayers of the Novus Ordo Mass are older. They go back all the way to the 7th century, way before the extraordinary form of the Trinitine Mass. They came many centuries later. So older is not necessarily better. Now, do we forget tradition? No, we need tradition, but in a proper balance. Continuity, hermeneutic of continuity, as John Paul said, or as uh, Benedict said. All right, now, 
As I've said before in other talks, the Hail Marys are not the focus. They're just background music. It's like watching a movie with a good musical score. And I, I did a video last Thursday. I said, remember the movie Jaws? Where, you know, you're watching the movie, but you're dun, 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 dun. The music gets you into the plot. It doesn't replace the plot. The plot of the rosary is the mysteries. The Hail Marys are just background music. They're a way to, to develop into a deeper focus of the mysteries. I say the, the Hail Mary said just it's a meditation. I'm focusing on the mysteries. And so this is what we do. The music added to the intensity of the plot of the movie, the Hail Marys, should add to your, your intensity of the mysteries in your meditation. All right, so don't make a mistake like many and dismiss this rosary as vain, repetitious prayer. It's not. It's full meditation on the mysteries of Christ put to music. That's beautiful. Music is the song of angels. The mystery is a prayer and meditation on the life of Christ put to music, the Hail Marys. How is that pagan? It's not. It's beautiful. This is why it is so powerful, because it's a weapon against evil. This is why Satan fears the rosary so much. Do you know, saints told us that Satan fears Mary more than God. Oh, how dare you say that, Father? That's heretical. No, it's not heretical. You have to look up the meaning of the word heretical. All right. Just because something is not in the Bible doesn't mean it's heretical. The Bible itself says not everything's in the Bible. And the saints teach us that Satan fears Mary even more than God. Why? Because he, can, he knows God created him. He, he halfway knows that God could whoop up on him because God is God. Satan's not stupid. He knows God is all-powerful, almighty. So God beating him up, whooping him up, he halfway understands it, you know, he's God. But to be beat by a 15-year-old Jewish girl is way more than he could handle. Why? Because of pride. Pride was the key sin. So anyway, the saints have said that the rosary and the chaplet are the best prayers after the mass. And you've heard me say this before. I'll just give you a quick summary because I've said this one a lot. If you miss Mass, I've always said if you miss Sunday Mass, the next best thing is confession. But if you miss a daily Mass, people always ask, Father, what's the next best prayer I could do? The rosary and the chaplet. Why? Because the rosary, as we've been saying all along, is a meditation on Scripture. What is the first part of the Mass? Liturgy of the Word. The meditation on Scripture. What happens in the first part of the Mass? We come and we read Scripture. We meditate on Scripture. So the rosary is reading scripture. It's meditating on scripture. It's like the first part of the mass. What's the second part of the mass? Liturgy of the Eucharist. What happens in liturgy of the Eucharist? The priest offers sacrifice. Well, I can't do that, Father. Yes, you can. By virtue of your baptism, you are and you share in the three offices of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. You are a priest, you are a prophet, and you are a king. What does a prophet do? A prophet teaches. You are to teach others in the way of God. You are a king. What does a king do? A king governs his, his body and health and his, his life and holiness. You are a king. You govern. And what is a priest? A priest offers sacrifice. So when you pray the chaplet of divine mercy, guess what? On the same rosary beads, you think that was by mistake? God didn't make a separate set of beads. He had it and taught it on the same rosary beads. 
so that you could go when you miss mass in one sitting cover with the rosary, like meditation on scripture, which is liturgy of the word. And on the same rosary beads, you pray the chaplet because it's like liturgy of the Eucharist is offering sacrifice. How do we know? Eternal father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's offering sacrifice. Well, father, only a priest can do that. You are a priest. By virtue of your baptism, you share in the priest, prophet, and king. You are a priest, and a priest offers sacrifice. When you pray the chaplet of divine mercy, it may be the only time in your life that you truly offer sacrifice. It may be the only time in your life that you truly exercise your priesthood. Now, we sacrifice every day in struggles and penances. I'm talking about an offering to God in the sense of the person of Jesus Christ. Incredible. And so this is what it is. Now, let's finish here with a couple things. I got a few minutes left. St. Dominic in an exorcism. This is fascinating. And I'm getting this from Father Don's book, Ten Wonders of the Rosary. He talked about St. Louis de Montfort in his book, The Secret of the Rosary. And do you know that in there is a recount of the story of what happened to St. Dominic when he encountered a man that was possessed by demons, plural, not a demon. Sometimes we might think, well, I got a demon of lust, or I have a demon of, of unforgiveness. He met a man, this is St. Louis de Montfort, put this in the secret of the rosary, that was possessed by 15,000 demons. It's possible. Remember the demons, Brother Mark reads Mary of Agreta, we'll talk about her, that she said once how many demons are there? She says, if we were to be visible, we'd blacken the sun. There's that many demons. And this man was possessed by 15,000 demons. Now, while St. Dominic was preaching the rosary in France, there was a heretic, and he was making fun of the 15 mysteries of the rosary, and that prevented a lot of other people from being converted. They heard this guy and thought, well, this must be a joke. How many do we know that hear other people criticizing the rosary and therefore remain away from it? Now, as a punishment, God allowed 15,000 devils to enter this man's body because they believed that he kept 15,000 souls away from God from his preaching against the rosary. Isn't that amazing? Don't think sin doesn't have consequences. Our God is merciful, but sin has consequences. So here it is believed that this man preaching in France against the rosary kept 15,000 souls from God because he taught the rosary as heresy, he taught the rosary as pagan, and he told people to stay away from the church and the rosary. St. Louis de Montfort wrote that that's why God allowed, didn't punish, I think punishments, I shouldn't have used that word. God allowed 15,000 demons to enter him. The man's body was possessed. So his parents took him to St. Dominic to be delivered from these evil spirits. And St. Dominic began to pray and begged everyone in the town who was there to say the rosary out loud with him. At each Hail Mary... St. Louis de Montfort says, Our Lady drove out 100 demons out of his body, and they could see it. It was coming out in red-hot coals. And every time they prayed one Hail Mary, 100 red-hot coals came out of the man. How many Hail Marys are in the three mysteries? 150. 
If a hundred red hot coals representing each demon came out with each Hail Mary, that's 15,000. 150 rosaries, or I'm sorry, 150 Hail Marys prayed and a hundred demons were evoked by Mary at each Hail Mary. Hundred times 150 rosaries, that's 15,000. They all came out when they prayed, the joyful, the, uh, the, the, the glorious, and the sorrowful. Amazing, isn't it? This is why demons fear the rosary, and St. Dominic knew this. So he actually brought the rosary as a form of exorcism. Fascinating. Mary told St. Dominic that in order to overcome the devil, he needed to fight fire with fire. And she said, the rosary is divine fire. <laughs> All right, let's go on. I want to tell you a little bit. One of Brother Mark had taught me a lot about Mary of Agreta, and he's read The Mystical City of God. I want to finish with just three quick um, stories, and then we'll finish for today. Um, let's first talk about Mary of Agreta. Let's look at our next slide. This is a picture of her book, the one that Brother Mark talks about a lot, The Mystical City of God. And here, this is Mary of Agreta. She was a Franciscan nun in Spain. And she was one of the greatest mystics of the 17th century. Now, her greatest work, all right, is on the life of the Virgin Mary. And this was called the mystical city of God. She would mystically bilocate. Listen to this. She lived now in Spain, but she would mystically bilocate to New Mexico. Here in America in the 1620s, she's living in Spain. There she instructed the Humano Indians in the truth of Christianity and the mysteries of Christianity. She informed the Indians that Catholic priests would soon arrive in their area and bring the sacraments. Now, no settlers had been to that part of Mexico yet. No missionaries. So 1620. None had been there yet. But Mary of Agreta bilocated and appeared to these Indians and said that priests were coming and we're going to bring you the sacraments incredibly in 1629 so only a few years later franciscan priests came to that exact region where the humano indians lived and when these franciscan priests arrived they were shocked to discover that this tribe of indians were already familiar with the catholic faith and were asking to be baptized and to receive the sacraments. And guess what the Indians had in their hands? Rosaries. Can you imagine being a Franciscan priest? And you're the first ones ever there. And these Indians have rosaries. Now, they asked the Indians how they got their knowledge of the Catholic faith and how they got the rosaries. Now, the Franciscans were told by the Indians that for several years, a lady in blue had visited them and taught them and gave them rosaries. Well, the first thing they think is, it's the Blessed Mother, a lady in blue. So they thought the Indians had been blessed with an apparition of Mary. However, when the Franciscans showed the Indians an image of Mary and they said, that's her, right? They said, no. The tribe said, that's not her. And they're like, what? So they started writing their superiors back in Spain. And their superiors started to get wind of this nun, this Franciscan nun that was talking about bilocating to these natives. 
So they set a picture of Mary of Agreta. And they said, that's her. So the Indians did this. So they thought, the tribe said, it was not Our Lady, but another woman dressed in blue. Mary of Agreta's habit was blue. So the friars were able to determine and verify that they were talking to the mystic Mary of Agreta. That's fascinating. She'd never been to the American Southwest. So during an investigation, they went back and they asked Mary of Agreta about this. Now they figure if she's a holy woman, she'll tell the truth. And Mary of Agreta confirmed that she would bilocate and go visit these Indians in the American Southwest. She also noted that during her frequent bilocations, you know what she would do? She would take all the extra rosaries from the convent. She took all the extra rosaries from the convent and she would give them to distribute to the Indians. Isn't that fascinating? That's fascinating. So that's a great story. And I want to finish with the last two that I have talked about, but I want to summarize with some new points to it if you haven't heard it. But Our Lady of Victory, let's go to the next slide. Our Lady of Victory at the Battle of Lepanto. I've talked about this before, but I'm not going to do the whole story. I'm just going to really quickly summarize in case you haven't heard it. All right. The Feast of Our Lady of Rosary is in October, October 7th. Why? Well, it was first called Our Lady of Victory, which we used to pray in football, I told you guys. But it's the anniversary of the victory of the Christianity over the Ottoman, Turk, Muslim, Navy at Lepanto in 1571. Now, what makes this super special is what was going on. See, the Ottoman Turks, the Muslims, had invaded much of the Byzantine Empire, the Christian Empire, by the mid-1400s. And our last notes, last page of notes. Um, in the next hundred years, they kept expanding west on land and on the seas. Now, they brought a large part of Christendom under Islamic law. And a lot of people say, oh, that's not true. You got to read your history. It was spread. It was spread by force. And so this is, this is why many say Islam is not a religion, but a political ideology. A real religion does not spread by force and force conversions. It spreads by love. And so we are seeing this again today. We're losing Christendom. So we need to start praying the rosary like they did back in the 1500s. Why did they do this? All right. As the invasion of, of Christian lands kept happening, three Catholic powers. No, it wasn't France. It wasn't England. It wasn't Germany. They bailed out. Shame on them. <laughs> but Genoa, Spain, and the Papal States they formed an alliance called the Holy League, and they defended Christian civilization against the Turkish invasion. Remember, our own catechism says that we're allowed self-defense. So they, they set sail to confront the Turks near the west coast of Greece on October the 7th, 1571. Now, here's the thing. Crew members in more than 200 ships, they only had 200 ships for the Christians, prayed the rosary in preparing for the battle. And the Pope asked Christians throughout Europe, encouraged by Pope Pius V, to gather in their churches to invoke Mary's intercession against this attack and all enemies of God. They were greatly outnumbered. They were outmanned. Only a miracle could save them, and it did. 
the Pope was then so moved by this victory, which was totally unlikely, that they called it Our Lady of Victory. Later became the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Wow. So the Ottomans who had won, um, and it, I should say, if the Ottomans who had won, um, that would have been pretty much an invasion of Italy. There would have been nothing stopping them. They could have followed in, right into Rome. And so um, if the Ottomans had won, then there was a real possibility that evasion of Rome could have followed. So um, the, ulti the Ottoman sultan, the, the main Muslim, um, claiming to be the emperor of the Romans, would have possessed all of Rome. And so we have to know that this would have brought an end to Christianity. So it was a miracle. And Pope Leo XIII said that we owe this to the Queen of Heaven. Wow. All right, and I finish with the Battle of Vienna. You've heard me mention this one before. This one is the most fascinating intercession of Our Lady. Let's look at our next slide. This is called the Battle of Vienna. Now, in an earlier talk I did on Islam, I explained the importance of this Bible, or this, uh, this battle. I even talked about how coffee was discovered. It was at this battle. So if you want to see that, go back. You can see my talk on the Crusades, on Islam. But this is basically the story. I'm going to just summarize it real quick because I only have a few seconds left. In the 17th century, the Ottoman Turks, as we said, the Muslims again, were again conquering Europe. So the first one was 1571. Now we're into 1683, so 100 years later. And now they're again at it, conquering Europe for Islam. In 1683, they moved into Vienna, Austria, which was the gateway to Rome again, again. Now, nobody again would rise up. No England, no France, no Germany. You know who rose up? Poland. That's why I believe they're one of the chosen people today, along with the Filipinos. Filipino women are spreading the message of mercy all over the world. It was from Poland that that spark came to prepare the world. And this is what happened. In 1683, they, they came to Vienna. Let's look at our next slide. This is Our Lady of Chestahova, sometimes called the Black Madonna. Some people believe painted by Luke. Before they began their journey, the Polish king, Jan Sobieski, made a detour and took the entire army to Chestahova to pray before the image of Our Lady, entrusting their cause to the Mother of God. The long march hundreds, thousands of miles even, or hundreds, it was, it was like, I mean, long, long march, turned into a rosary procession. All the way from Poland to Vienna was a rosary procession through fields, through towns. When Sobieski got to Vienna, the Muslims had already been sieging the city for two months, and the Christian forces inside were desperate. They were in need of help. So on guess what? September the 11th, 1683, Islam was at the height of their power. Many believe that's why they chose for the tax on the World Trade Center, September the 11th, because that was the date of the height of their power, because the next day, September 12th, it all crumbled. They were defeated at Vienna. And this is why some think the tax on 9-11 were chosen to return to the height of their power. So on the morning of September the 12th, 1683, on guess what? The feast of the holy name of Mary, 
Jan Sobieski went to mass, entrusted his army to the hands of Mary, and began his defense against Islam. As his soldiers ran down the hill, they were screaming, Jesus and Mary, save us. How many times have you ever heard that in human history? As they're charging the hill, or storming the beach at Normandy, or charging the hill in Vietnam, Hamburger Hill, were they shouting, Jesus and Mary, save us? Maybe somewhere, but the entire army, and Jesus and Mary did save them, as well as the whole city of Vienna, and Our Lady of the Rosary prevailed. And after the battle, King Jan Sobieski, he related these events to Pope Innocent the Eleventh, and basically was a hero. He saved Europe. And upon returning to Poland, where did he go? Right back to Czestochowa and gave thanks to Our Lady for her safety and his pilgrimage of thanksgiving. And he took the banners they captured in battle and laid them at her feet of the image. So God bless. This is just an incredible, and you know what? I want you to come back next week because we just touched the surface. We're gonna do one more talk on rosary. What I wanna talk about next week are some more incredible things. The stories of the saints about the rosary. Martyrs, people who were killed holding the rosary in their hands. I'm gonna tell you stories of Satanists. A famous Satanist who became a saint based on the rosary. Then serial killers like Ted Bundy in American history that killed a bunch of young ladies had a story about the rosary, believe it or not. How people were affected by the rosary. Why it isn't blasphemy. We're going to talk about the promises of the rosary. What indulgences you can get through the rosary. We're going to talk about what indulgences are. We'll explain it all. And so to finish today, God bless you for staying with us. There's so much on the rosary. Um, we want you to get a tape if you want. Mark, Brother Mark's going to show the next slide. If you want to get some of our talks, I still have some DVDs called Explaining the Faith of Our First uh, Things. And so I sent them. They should be, Brother Mark, are they... Uh, Okay, because they were in the email that I sent. So um, actually, MIC Prayers is next. So I'm sorry, MIC Prayers. If you want to join us and be a Marian helper, please do. It doesn't cost any money. It only takes a few minutes to sign up. Join us at micprayers.org. God bless you, because it doesn't cost anything. It takes 10 seconds to sign up. But you can share in all the graces of our prayers and rosaries our masses, everything. Now let's go on to the DVD. Here on the DVD, I do some talks about explaining the faith. Please pick that up at Shop Mercy or 1-800-462-7426. And finally, my two books explain a lot of what I've been talking about. The first is Understanding Divine Mercy. You can also get that on shopmercy.org or that same 800 number. And finally, in this time of trouble, the... Um, really difficult of, of suffering and tragedy. I wrote a book called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You. It's not just about suicide, it's about any tragedy or suffering or loss. So please stay with us. Next week, we're gonna be talking about the finishing parts of the rosary. I think you'll find it even better than today's talk because it's all the important wrapping up and bringing it together. So until then, may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And don't forget, we have a conference coming up. Uh, you can get it on our website at thedivinemercy.org slash 
virtual health care. It's about a, a, a conference we're going to be doing in February on the 11th, 12th, and 13th, I believe it is. You can join up. You can see us um, online, and you can get more details. It's not just for any healthcare professional. It's for anybody who wants to bring your loved ones through health and care to God. And we'll see you then. Until next week, God bless you, and thank you for joining us. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.